Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we exhaust your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this episode, we delve into the two flawed trials that recommended exercise and counselling to ignore your symptoms as the only treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis. The same treatments are now being pushed for long COVID. But first up... Here's news of a potential new drug to treat myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. Energy blocker. A study from the American National Institutes of Health suggests that high levels of a stress protein may reduce energy production in the muscle cells of people with myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. The research also suggests that this might be a new biomarker to diagnose the illness. Blocking this protein in cells in the lab restored energy production, suggesting a potential new strategy for treating the condition. Myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, MECFS, afflicts more than 30 million people around the world. People with MECFS live with debilitating symptoms including exhaustion, exercise intolerance, cognitive problems, chronic sore throat and a worsening of symptoms after exertion. This is known as post-exertional malaise. The causes of MECFS remain poorly understood, although many people first develop symptoms after a viral infection. Long COVID and MECFS have a big overlap in symptoms. The team of researchers have been studying a woman who took days to recover after physical exertion and several of her relatives together at the NIH Clinical Centre. Tests were done while the woman was exercising, found a very slow recovery of cellular energy production after exertion. Muscle cells taken from her and examined in the lab showed reduced oxygen use. Oxygen is used by mitochondria, the part of cells that makes energy molecules, out of food. Further laboratory studies led the team to a protein called WASF3. This protein, which is normally boosted in response to cellular stress, disrupted the cell's energy production. Blocking WASF3 allowed mitochondria to produce energy at normal levels. The team then showed that extra WASF3 in the cells interfered with the formation of the structures that mitochondria use to produce energy. The team engineered mice to produce excess WASF3. They found that, similar to people with post-exertional malaise, muscles in these mice were slow to recover after exercise. The mice also showed a 50% reduction in their ability to run on a treadmill, even though their muscle strength was comparable to mice without extra WASF3. This shows the mice were not deconditioned or unfit. 
to see if WASF3 dysfunction might be involved in ME-CFS, the team compared muscle tissue samples taken from 14 people with ME-CFS to samples from 10 healthy volunteers. They found substantially higher levels of WASF3 in most of the people with ME-CFS. This dysfunctional increase in WASF3 seemed to be linked to the impairment of a cellular signaling pathway called the endoplasmic reticulum stress pathway. The endoplasmic reticulum is a large structure in cells that's involved in folding proteins. When the team treated human muscle cells with a compound known to increase endoplasmic reticulum stress, they saw a corresponding harmful increase in WASF3. The researchers treated cells from the initial study participant with an experimental drug called salubrinol, known to reduce endoplasmic reticulum stress. After this treatment, WASF3 levels decreased in the cells, more mitochondrial energy complexes formed, and energy production improved. Mitochondrial dysfunction has been found in some people with long COVID and other conditions that include fatigue. The researchers hope to start clinical trials of WASF3 reducing drugs in humans to treat myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, and it may also become one of the biomarkers for a diagnostic blood test. The paper was titled WASF3 Disrupts Mitochondrial Respiration and May Mediate Exercise Intolerance in Myalgic Encephalomyelitis Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. People with ME-CFS live with debilitating exhaustion, exercise intolerance, cognitive problems, chronic sore throat and a worsening of symptoms after mild exertion. This is known as post-exertional malaise. Most people get ME-CFS after a viral infection, just like long COVID. The most debilitating symptoms are that exercise makes you sick and concentration and memory problems but there's a whole shopping list of breathing, digestive, immune, and other symptoms. For a long time, people with the illness have been instructed to ignore what their body has been telling them and to just push through their symptoms with more and more exercise, even when their symptoms got worse. Something we don't tell people with other illnesses to do. They're told exercise and therapy to ignore their body is the only treatment because the illness is all in their head. Research into diagnosing and treating ME-CFS has been underfunded for decades because of this medical school of thought. Now people suffering long COVID are being told to try graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy aimed at getting them to ignore their symptoms. The PACE trial in 2011 was used to prove this was the best approach until it was discredited. Then the same researchers did the Cochrane review of carefully selected clinical trials and came to the same conclusion. The Cochrane Review was criticised as being deeply flawed. The US and the UK have dropped these treatments from their official clinical guidelines for treating ME-CFS, but Australia continues to use them. In 1955, there was an outbreak of ME-CFS at the Royal Free Hospital in London. 292 members of staff fell ill, 
of which 255 were severe enough to be admitted to hospital. The disease named myalgic encephalomyelitis was first coined to describe this illness in an editorial in The Lancet in 1956. In 1955 and 1956, there were similar outbreaks reported around the world, from Adelaide, Coventry, New York State, Durham and Athens. Since that time, people diagnosed with the disease have been told the disease is all in their heads, and that they're just suffering from hysteria. Hysteria, in ancient times, literally meant a womb that wandered around in a woman's body. In the 19th century, women were diagnosed with hysteria as an ungovernable emotional excess. In 1895, Sigmund Freud founded his school of psychology and first published about what he called conversion theory. He updated hysteria to be for men as well as women. In his conversion disorder, which was also known as psychosomatic disorder, Sigmund Freud was saying that if 19th century medical science was unable to diagnose a physical cause for your illness, then there was no possibility that you had a physical illness. Therefore, your illness was caused by your unconscious mind. Freud didn't offer anything in the way of an explanatory mechanism or any proof at all, but his ideas were eagerly taken up by doctors around the world. Sir Karl Popper was an important philosopher of science in the 20th century who was concerned about how to tell the difference between science and pseudoscience. He concluded the problem is confirmation bias, people's unconscious tendency to look for and interpret information that's consistent with what they already believe. Popper concluded that non-scientific theories could not be falsified. There was no possible objection that could be raised which could show the theory to be wrong. Sigmund Freud's untestable system of psychology became Karl Popper's poster child for untestable pseudoscience. The idea that MECFS is a belief disorder has resulted in very little money going into research into diagnostic tests. In 1995, only a hundred years after Sigmund Freud, the Cognitive Behavioural Model of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome was published by Laren, Broberg, Odgard Jensen and Price. It stated that myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome is a false belief that you have a disease that causes you to avoid exercise and therefore become deconditioned. So the only way to cure people was to force them to do more and more exercise and give them a narrow form of psychological treatment called cognitive behavioural therapy that challenged the patient's beliefs that they have a real physiological illness. Instead, the therapist advises patients need only to become more active and ignore their symptoms to fully recover. There's no consideration that doctors might be wrong in at least some of the cases and their treatments therefore harmful. An important part of ignoring your symptoms is to stop complaining to doctors about them, which can then be used to claim that you no longer experience any symptoms. Laren, Broberg, Odgard, Jensen and Price were saying that if 20th century medical science was unable to diagnose a physical cause for your illness, then there was no possibility that you had a physical illness. Therefore, your illness was caused by your unconscious mind. Laren Broberg, Odgard, Jensen and Price didn't offer anything in the way of an explanatory mechanism or any proof at all, but their idea was eagerly taken up by doctors and insurance companies around the world. 
Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which the abuser attempts to sow self-doubt and confusion in the victim's mind. Typically, gaslighters are seeking to gain power and control over the other person by distorting reality and forcing them to question their own judgement and intuition. It's named after a movie where a husband uses that technique to abuse his wife into thinking she's crazy. Bryn Mawr John was a British Member of Parliament who suffered from myalgic encephalomyelitis. He wrote, Though there's only a slight gradient from our house to the main road, it could have been the north face of the Eiger. I just could not get up it. He found himself unable to dress, the slightest exertion exhausted him, and it took days to regain his strength. On the 13th of December 1988, Brimmore John suddenly collapsed and died as he was leaving the gym at the House of Commons, having been advised to exercise his way back to fitness. If your doctor believes your actual illness is a belief disorder where you wrongly believe that you have a physical disease, in the unlucky case where you happen to have a real physical disease because the doctor's wrong, how would you ever prove them wrong? This is where science is supposed to come to your rescue, with its principles of trying to falsify theories by testing them. But only if you fund the research and then do well-designed studies. You're listening to Ian Wolf on the Fusion Science Radio. Sending email for science at diffusionradio.com or brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Tune in and discover the wonders we unfold, exploring the mysteries that science holds from molecules to galaxies. We'll take you far and wide. Join us on the journey. Let your curiosity guide. In 2007, the protocols for the PACE trial were published. And then in 2011, the PACE trial itself, an $8 million UK government-funded study, was published in The Lancet, aiming to assess the effectiveness and safety of cognitive behavioural therapy, telling you to ignore your symptoms, graded exercise therapy, adaptive pacing therapy, and specialist medical care for chronic fatigue syndrome. The trial recruited 640 participants who met the 1991 Oxford definition of chronic fatigue syndrome, which required only six months of fatigue for inclusion. The study initially claimed that cognitive behavioural therapy and graded exercise therapy were effective treatments for chronic fatigue syndrome, leading to their endorsement by doctors and governments worldwide. Critics raised concerns about the lack of negative outcomes in the study and the refusal of researchers to share their data. After a five-year legal battle, the data was finally made public, leading to extensive scrutiny by doctors and researchers who identified serious flaws in the study. Here are some of the key criticisms of the PACE trial that various doctors have said. Moving the goalposts. The trial initially set stringent standards for recovery, but later relaxed them significantly during the trial. This allowed patients to be classified as recovered, even if they got worse during the study. The threshold for physical function was set so low that an average 80-year-old could meet it. Bruce Levin, a professor of biostatistics at Columbia University and an expert in clinical trial design, I have never seen a trial design where eligibility requirements for a disease alone would qualify some patients for having had a successful treatment. Too subjective, 
the trial relied solely on self-reported outcomes, with no significant improvement in objective measures such as employment status or fitness levels. Critics argued that participants might exaggerate improvements to please therapists or themselves, particularly after they'd spent a year being told to ignore their symptoms. The researchers did not disclose their ties to disability insurance companies on consent forms, despite advising these companies that using cognitive behavioural therapy and graded exercise therapy could reduce benefit claims and save them money. This raises ethical concerns. Dr. Leonard Jason said, if you've promised to disclose conflicts of interest by promising to follow a protocol, you can't just decide not to do it. These were not blinded trials. Unlike double-blinded trials, PACE was unblinded, meaning that both participants and therapists knew which treatment was being administered. This design made the study very vulnerable to biased results. The PACE team published a newsletter during the study that they sent to the participants that included testimonials from earlier trial participants, which could potentially introduce bias. The newsletter tried to persuade participants of the value of cognitive behavioural therapy and graded exercise by quoting a UK government committee, while failing to mention that a key PACE investigator served on this government committee to endorse graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapies. Overall, critics argue that the PACE trials methodology in reporting raised serious doubts about its conclusions and its suitability as a basis for clinical guidelines for treating chronic fatigue syndrome. Despite the strong defence of the study by its investigators, concerns about its integrity persisted among patients, advocacy groups and researchers. The anniversary of the PACE trial was just over a week ago and was celebrated by 43 MECFS patient advocacy groups in 19 countries by lobbying their governments and medical authorities to update to science-based treatment guidelines for MECFS away from cognitive behavioural therapy and graded exercise pseudoscience. In 2016, the Cochrane Review, conducted by the same researchers from the discredited PACE trials, claimed that graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy were effective and safe for treating myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. This review, published by the prestigious Cochrane Network, was used by governments and medical groups to support graded exercise therapy and symptom-denying counselling as treatments. It included eight randomised control studies, with 1,510 participants in total, and was funded by the chief investigator of the PACE trial. Critics of the Cochrane Review pointed out several issues, similar to those of the PACE trials. They argued that the review misreported health indicators as positive outcomes when they were not statistically significant, moved the goalposts by changing primary outcomes, and lacked transparency in justifying these changes. The review also used unpublished data contrary to its own protocol, possibly impacting the outcomes significantly. The review was also criticised for inaccurately assessing bias in some of the studies. Mark Vink and Alexandra Vink-Nies criticised the Cochrane Review in their paper Graded Exercise Therapy for MECFS is Not Effective and Unsafe. They emphasised the inadequate reporting of harms in the trials covered by the review and concluded that graded exercise therapy is ineffective and possibly unsafe for people with MECFS. 
they also noted that the review only included papers supporting graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy, excluding all contradictory studies. The authors of the critique highlighted that the review used the Oxford criteria for chronic fatigue syndrome, which allows the inclusion of individuals without a definitive chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. This raised concerns about mislabeling healthy people with mild fatigue as having chronic fatigue syndrome. They argued that using the Oxford criteria should be retired. They further pointed out that many participants in the studies didn't meet any criteria for chronic fatigue syndrome, possibly skewing the results. None of the trials included in the review were randomised blind control trials, which are considered the gold standard in scientific research. They argued that the reliance on subjective self-reporting in all these unblinded studies made the outcomes unreliable. Lastly, most studies failed to report safety or adverse reactions adequately. If patients do not suffer from post-exertional malaise, it's likely that they will have no problems exercising. This might be an important reason why, outside of these clinical trials, things are different with many patients who do suffer from post-exertional malaise, reporting deterioration when they do graded exercise therapy. Overall, critics argued that the Cochrane Review had methodological flaws, potential bias and safety concerns regarding graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy as treatments for ME-CFS. Mark Vink and Alexandra Vinknies conclude on the subject of cognitive behavioural therapy. Cognitive behavioural therapy does not lead to an improvement of fitness, a reduction of the number of patients on sickness and disability benefits, or an improvement of employment status. Forcing patients to undergo this expensive treatment as a requirement to be eligible for illness benefits or medical retirement causes a lot of stress for patients and their families without any benefits to patients and society. For many patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, becoming involved in a cognitive behavioural therapy program has been compulsory to be eligible for illness benefits or medical retirement, based on the notion that if they did not want to be treated with cognitive behavioural therapy, they were after secondary gains and not motivated to get better. This reanalysis, however, shows that cognitive behavioural therapy does not lead to significant improvement in quality of life, nor does it lead to an improvement in fitness or employment status or reduction of the number of patients receiving sickness and disability benefits. In any event, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, if offered this therapy, should know that any effect on fatigue is likely to be short-lived and small in degree. Also, that 6 out of 7 patients will undergo the treatment without any benefit, and 1 in 5 will suffer negative consequences because of it. However, if patients suffer from a comorbid depression or anxiety disorder, or they need help coping with a debilitating illness, then it would be wise to consider help or support from a qualified and knowledgeable psychologist. The American Centers for Disease Control and the UK National Institutes for Health and Care Excellence, NICE, have both dropped graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy from their clinical guidelines for the treatment of ME-CFS. But the Royal Australian College of Physicians recommended these treatments in 2002 and have refused to change their clinical guidelines in the 21 years since. 
the Australian government relies on these guidelines for determining eligibility for the Disability Support Pension and the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Hopefully, because both the PACE trials and the Cochrane Review have found to be badly flawed, the Royal Australian College of Physicians can be convinced to remove graded exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy, telling you to ignore your symptoms, from their clinical guidelines and support science-based treatments instead. This will not only help people suffering from MECFS, but also prevent people suffering long COVID from having to go through the same awful experiences. Both the US and the UK now recommend adaptive pacing, where you determine the level of activity that causes post-exertional malaise symptoms in you, and then you stay below that level of activity, along with having specialist medical care to deal with your symptoms. Every few months, there are more and more studies being published with new biomarkers showing some of the mechanisms involved in chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis, and indicating possible drug treatments. Science that makes the world go And all the discoveries that are being made If you want to learn and be engaged Then you should really give this place a try It's called Diffusion Science Radio with the Wolf And I promise you And give it a shot It's time to learn about science And have some fun So tune into Diffusion Science Radio with Ian Wolf. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker Who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and... 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, 
www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.